0: Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my co-host Jason Snell. Hi Stephen, happy Thanksgiving week to you. You too, you too. We're having, uh, you know, all, all the stuff's coming, family's coming, turkey's coming. Lots of stuff ex- going on. Week. But we got mm-hmm. some space stuff to talk about before then. We do. We do have some space stuff to to talk about, and uh, I'm gonna just uh, I'm gonna start with some uh, pre flight checklists. This is what we call follow up on the show because things are fun to have space names. Uh huh. We spoke about the Kepler space telescope. Uh, oh oh, one... oh,
1: Stephen Stephen. Let's just call it PFC, and then people will ask what does it stand for, and we'll say pre flight checklist.
0: Mm. Or is oh, it yeah. not
1: good? Is it not a good enough acronym because it doesn't actually? It, we need a. Uh... We need
0: another letter in there. Right. Okay, we'll we'll workshop it. We'll yeah. workshop it. Sorry, <laughs> Make it make it longer. But uh, we spoke about the Kepler Space Telescope winding down its mission is out of uh, out of fuel, and uh, in the time since uh, we recorded last, NASA sent its final. Uh, they're called good night commands to to end the spacecraft's mission officially. And uh, what this does, it does a couple of things. It disables safety modes that could theoretically turn systems back on. So kind of telling uh, the computer and everything, hey, you know, um, you may be freaking out that things aren't working. This is fine. Calm down. Uh, and then it shuts down its radio transmitter, so it's not taking up any, uh, any bandwidth or anything like that on the deep space network. Uh, they're not, no, no longer going to be listening for it. Uh, it is uh, effectively uh, mothballed. Uh, mothballed at this point yeah
1: yeah this is how it, it, I was fascinated by just this is how it shuts down this is how we do it you know they gotta they gotta do all sorts of things to tell the computers not to freak out and uh and to accept that this is going to happen it's like the um it's just the stages of uh they you have to reach acceptance <laughs> as a space probe that
0: you're gonna get shut down now <laughs> you're gonna get the good night commands mm-hmm. and uh it's uh it's, it's there was kind of this like little trivia thing on the JPl site. That the good night uh, fell on the same date as the 388-year anniversary of the spacecraft's namesake. A German astronomer who discovered the laws of planetary motion passed away on November 15th, 1630. So, happy anniversary? Uh, Sure. I guess. I don't know. Uh, Kepler will uh, continue to slowly spin. It's in a stable orbit around the sun, about 94 million miles from Earth. And that is where it will be uh, basically forever. So... Rest in peace Kepler. Yeah, good job. De- oh, definitely. I mean, we talked about it last time, but our our fundamental understanding of the way the universe is put together and the existence of other worlds totally changed because of this mission. Yeah. It's it's incredible.
1: Yeah. Um Now we have to enter that realm where we don't know whether the space probe is alive or dead, which is Opportunity. Mm. As We've been talking about the Opportunity rover, which has been around for a very long time. But uh, it got, due to the Martian dust storm, it lost power because it is solar powered. And they were hoping that it would, um, when the skies cleared, it would wake back up. Or if it got covered in dust, that a dust devil would come along and sweep it so that it could, uh, its solar plant panels were clean so that it could uh, get more power. And we're still waiting for that. But um, something happened uh, in between our uh, last episode and this one that was just kind of weird, which is that uh, for a brief moment, for two hours, people thought that Opportunity was back alive. Uh, alas, ho- hopes were dashed. So what happens is NASA, being a, a nice uh, government agency provides a live feed of the deep space network of what it communicates with various probes all over the solar system and there's a web page and there's a twitter account that's hooked into the feed and there's all sorts of stuff like that and on november 15th there was a tweet that went out and there was an indicator on the website that it had received data at a low speed from opportunity and everybody got really excited like did you see this The word spread they got they heard something from opportunity it was really exciting And then uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, reported that uh, whatever that data was, and they didn't say what it was, it was not a signal from opportunity. They said it could have been many things, including test data or false positives, but uh, didn't give any more detail. So maybe it was aliens or a spy satellite, but probably not. Well, it might have been a spy satellite, or it might have been just a glitch of some sign. But regardless, they say it was not opportunity. The wait will continue, hoping that it will wake up. And you might think that was weird, like, well what what's gonna do it? But like I said, it, it it could wake up by having a wind or a dust devil pass over it at just the right angle to blow off the the, uh, the dust off the solar panels and that has happened before um, it's also possible that it's just it's depleted and it's not going to be able to come even with the solar panels uncovered uh, it just can't boot back up and can't come back to life at which point it will have like Kepler uh, you know vastly exceeded its expected mission but anyway we got our hopes up and they were dashed that
0: was a real roller coaster on uh, on my space Twitter list the, the other day it's like people were all freaking out and then it all came crashing back down.
1: Yeah, no, it was uh we you and I were both like, oh they they oh no, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Uh so anyway, that's that's uh that's our two items from prefect, which for now until we come up with something better is the pre flight checklist. That's good. And I know that there's no E in in flight, but I don't care. So, there you go. Prefect. Prefect 1 and 2 have been completed. Now on to SLS
0: segment. Space Launch System segment explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news, and trivia.
1: SLS segment.
0: So, there's this, this interview by NASA's Associate Administrator, uh, Stephen Jurcic. It's part of a big thing Business Insider does, kind of looking at the industry of space. Pretty interesting. But uh, he he was asked a question, and this is uh, a question about SLS in the context of SpaceX uh, BFR, which, by the way, is not called BFR anymore. Apparently, they're renaming it Starship, whatever. And and uh, and and they have a name. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. But
1: they, yeah, they've named them both now.
0: So in the context of BFR and Blue Origin's New Glenn, which is going to be uh, Blue Origin's heavy lift vehicle. So in the context of you have commercial partners who have heavy lift vehicles, where does that leave SLS? And uh, he says, uh, I think that our view is that if those commercial capabilities come online, we can eventually retire the government system, being the SLS, and just move into buying launch capacity on those rockets. So effectively saying, well, I think a lot of people have thought about, we've talked about, it, of what happens yeah. if – what happens if. Uh, SLS has all this competition does it still make sense to to build build your own rocket and he and he said he answered kind of logically, which is like, well yeah
1: no maybe someday I mean which is basically I, so okay so I read this story first off, the way it's phrased, I really think that uh, the guy from Business Insider was like at a party with this guy having a drink and asked him this question and he said it and the bi guy wrote it down and published it i i I, I I looked at it and I was like, this guy was not expecting to be quoted, right? That was basically my takeaway. was like, I, and I'm not saying it was unethical. I'm just saying this guy, it felt like to me, was in a moment of candor, uh, not thinking that it was going to get you know that he was going to say something that would be turned into a story, and as a journalist, I've I've been in those situations where you're like, mm, you know, do I use this or is this background information? How big a story is? I think I think this is a big enough story that it, it's legitimate to relay that that stuff. And yes, Elon Musk has officially he says renamed BFR and uh, the BFR capsule or whatever to it's Super Heavy is the name of the rocket, and Starship is the name of the 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 human. Containing capsule that would go on top of it, so super heavy. So super heavy, and New Glenn basically, and whatever follows New Glenn from Blue Origin are the ones that are in this context. And uh, so now we know, right? And uh, there's no more confusion uh, at all. We know that they are open to it, right? Yeah,
0: there is there is more confusion. So uh, this is getting it's the SLS segment, isn't it? <laughs> it is. This is getting circulated pretty widely, and uh, and then the boss, Jim Bronstein, NASA administrator former congressman. He tweets in case there's any confusion, NASA will not in all capital letters will not be retiring NASA SLS in 2022 or any foreseeable date. It is the backbone of America's return to the moon with international and commercial partners. So I guess, uh, (laughs) I guess he wanted to put that to uh, put that to rest, which I, I mean, we've talked a lot about this, but SLS just like, uh, just like, the shuttle just like apollo gemini mercury it creates jobs all over the country right it's a big economic driver and that means that congress has lots of incentive to keep it going and i you know i did take the time to think through this of what what happens if spacex and blue origin can do what they say they want to do and like and nasa does this what if they did retire sls after a handful of launches you know what would that what would that look like? And ultimately, I think it would end up kind of where we are today, where NASA doesn't have its own launch capability. You know, right now, we're just dependent on Russia. But being dependent on commercial partners solely is the, is the only way to get into space seems like a bad position for the agency to be in. And I've got my problems with SLS. But I see the value in NASA having its own launch capability. Yeah, even if it's significantly more expensive than what they could do with the commercial partners. I think it should always be an option so they don't end up where they are now where, like, if Russia just decides to stop accepting astronauts, you know, and they've already stopped selling seats, there's a deadline to that, then we're stuck on the ground. And that's not a situation NASA should be in. But, uh, you know... My yeah. guess is in the future we'll, there'll be a blend, right? There'll be SLS missions and there'll be NASA missions on these other vehicles. I think uh, big picture here, I think the challenge is that NASA, NASA's goal
1: with its own rockets is to um, build what it needs to do things in places that are not going to be commercially exploited. That, I feel like that's their, that's, the, that's the goal there, which is why commercial crew is interesting because that's NASA saying, we don't need to build rockets for low Earth orbit. Like we don't need to do that. You guys can do that uh, because there's clearly they're gonna get uh, th- those businesses will benefit and make they'll make money from satellite launches and stuff like that. So it, we'll will you know work with those existing businesses. And then NASA looks at deep space missions and says, well, no nobody's gonna be building deep space rockets because that they're not practical. They're not a business opportunity. It's really just. Um, us because we're exploring and the problem is that in all of the time that sls has been in this conception like so much has happened with companies like spacex and blue origin that now those companies well either they see commercial application in going to the moon and mars uh, which i think they they do to a certain extent maybe more than nasa ever expected um, some of that is also mission-driven. It's like Elon Musk wants to go to Mars because he thinks it's a good thing for human race to do, and he wants to be a part of that. Um, and that's not necessarily as rational as saying there's a business opportunity here. But I think that, that he and Jeff Bezos both believe that that if you build it, they will come, essentially, that they there, there will be business opportunities, that uh, a lot of things in space— uh, the reason that they're not as commercially viable as they could be is that nobody's willing to put up the money to go out there, and that uh, there is a fortune to be made if you can if you can do that. So that has collided with NASA's sort of sensibility of well, if we don't build it, nobody will build it. Um, and I think the question going forward for NASA, and this is this is the core of this issue as we kept talking about it, the question for NASA is what's the model of building rockets? Because if you've got these large, viable companies that are building commercial rockets, then um, is that the new model? And that instead of having contractors build a, a NASA rocket for you in a contractor relationship, is the new model going to be to put a contract out for bid or set a set of specs like commercial crew and let the companies that are in the market try to provide you that thing. And on one level, you know, it's not that different for, uh, NASA to pay contractors to build a rocket and for NASA to pay, uh, SpaceX money for a rocket like on one level that's not that different but it is on another level it's very different so that that seems to be where we are right now is strangely enough and I think this if you wanted to talk about NASA being a big government bureaucracy and how the NASA of of the last 50 years has moved really slowly or 40 years has moved very slowly you know the other way to look at this is that the commercial operations have 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 overtaken or are uh, in you know, may very soon overtake NASA, even with its head start with SLS. And uh, that's, you know, then again, if you're SpaceX, you, if NASA changes its mind, you're out billions of dollars. So, and that could destroy your company. So I, I don't know where where this ends up, but um, for, and we've talked about all the political reasons why this, why SLS goes on, because it's covering so many different congressional districts and so many different states. But uh, but yeah, it, it definitely feels like um, I think when when the associate administrator said this you know i i think what he's really saying is look if there comes a time when there it makes no sense for us to keep doing this because the commercial opportunities cover it as we did with commercial crew we will do it but from nasa's perspective what's unsaid here is from nasa's perspective those things haven't happened sls is getting closer although it's very slow uh, to get closer and that if they and they don't they don't want to wait around for whatever Elon Musk does next because they're not sure whether they can rely on that or not and if it gets to the point where they can then they'll drop it like they did with commercial crew so I don't know it's a it's a fascinating time because I think there's an argument to be made that they should give up but I think rea- reality suggests that it's not quite time yet and if they knew now what they you know if they, if they knew then what they know now they might have t- handled it differently but um as it is, they want to get this thing out the door and I understand that
0: i think that uh I think that sums up my feelings
1: all right with high five then i sh- um, so speaking of politics, because we talk about that a lot, because definitely politics is a part of space. Um, just a really quick note, which is we talked about him on previous shows. Uh, John Culberson, who was the chair of the House Appropriations Subcommittee, big space fan. He's the Europa guy. He's the guy who kept putting money in the NASA budget for a Europa lander mission. Um, he pushed for Europa missions in general. He especially pushed for a lander mission, which NASA has said repeatedly they don't want to do because not that they don't want to go to europa but what they want to do is send a an orbiter around europa to get more data and also to look at what might be a landing site so that the next mission can then be planned and he was really into funding he you know europa captured his imagination anyway culberson is from a uh, a suburban district in houston texas and in the midterm elections he lost so he's gone and there will be a new party in charge of the House Appropriations Subcommittee, uh, but he also will not even be present on it because he lost his seat. And Lauren Grush has a nice post that we can put on, on in our show notes from The Verge where she talks about it. And, you know, there is an open question for with um with this new congress coming in how that changes funding in general for nasa but regardless of that this this guy who sort of single-handedly pushed this uh set of missions forward it's worth noting he's he's out entirely so um so we'll see what happens i think if you were somebody who were who was uh, working hard on europa lander stuff
0: you um are not feeling great right now That's how it goes man you know like it's until these things are sort of solidified um it it's it is to the whims of what happens in the elections yeah and tough so. to be
1: a uh, tough to be in a, in an industry that that uh that has <laughs> such an impact based on
0: politics but that's that's how it is for uh, for space so so we're talking about commercial space companies and I want to spend a little time talking about Rocket Lab we have mentioned them in the past but they've had a really big couple of weeks and I think they're an interesting company with a kind of an interesting thing going on Uh, So I want to talk a little bit uh, about them. Uh, Rocket Lab is uh, building the Electron Rocket, and it's it's a fairly small launch vehicle, so it stands 17 meters tall with a 1.2 meter diameter. For some context, the Falcon 9 Block 5 is 70 meters tall with like a 3.6 meter diameter, so much smaller than the Falcon 9. It has a uh, 255-kilogram max payload. This thing is for launching small satellites, you know, the CubeSats and that sort of thing. Uh, It has two stages. They're powered by custom-made oxygen kerosene pump-fed engines, so they are developing all this technology. They're using carbon fiber and uh, other sort of lightweight materials uh, in their rocket, some really interesting material sciences going on. Uh, at, at Rocket Lab, and on November 10th, they held their first commercial mission launching. They have a launch site in New Zealand. This was supposed to be months ago. They had problems with a pump, and they thought they fixed it, then it had problems in testing, so they finally got it off the ground. Uh, the mission was called It's Business Time, which is, uh, I think, a pretty funny name for our first commercial mission. It's good. Uh carried a payload of six uh, small CubeSats, and then uh, I think the most interesting payload was called uh, Nabio, N A B E O, and it basically was a, a sail attached to the upper stage, and uh, like as a test to see if you could uh, use that, you know, in the very uh, upper limits of the atmosphere to slow down and then deorbit a satellite. And uh, you know, that's uh, we've talked about space debris; it's a big problem. How do you bring these things back down? And uh, several groups are working on this, and uh, this its business time launch had a experiment about it, which is, which is pretty uh, pretty awesome. And it's interesting because the the CubeSat, I'm going to call it a phenomenon. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go all the way in. I'm going to call it phenomenon. CubeSat uh, is happening. Yeah. CubeSat <laughs> That's right. That's right. It is. Um, it's really taken off. And you know, we uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the first. Uh, <laughs> The first SLS uh, will have some CubeSats deployed. Uh, They talked about having them in the trunk on the Orion capsule. Yeah. There's a uh, nice—New York Times did a
1: story about Rocket Lab, and they were trying to take a bigger picture, like, what does this mean that Rocket Lab exists? And what they they basically say in that story—it's a good story—is— it, it's CubeSats. It's like small, small packages. Like our, our technology has gotten better to create things that are smaller. And once you have access to space for these small packages, you can do all sorts of really interesting things, um, including, you know, cover wider areas and do like, it, it changes the, the economies to, to launch a bunch of small satellites versus one big expensive satellite. And uh, I think we talk about all these other companies a lot. Rocket Lab's really interesting because they're, they, they see an opportunity in the market for smaller payloads. And the CubeSat mania
0: is uh, one of the reasons why. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a quote from uh, Peter Beck, the founder of Rocket Lab, comparing what they want to do to FedEx, you know, that's delivering a parcel to your door. It's, uh, you don't need a full-size rocket to launch these things. And I think they, yeah. they clearly realize that it is a, a growing market. And something Rocket Lab wants to do is launch... Uh, these rockets very quickly. They, they want to get down to, I think, like a weekly flight <laughs> uh, with, and sort of the twist on it, is a very short load time. So like right now, if you're going to launch a satellite on top of a Falcon 9, that takes months and months and months to to mate them to the spacecraft and to do all the integration testing. And, and they, with CubeSats, because they're sort of modular known entities, they don't need a bunch of that stuff, right? And so... You know, you and I could show up with Liftoff One, our our first mm. CubeSat for our podcast. And oh, the goal is within maybe even like a month or a couple of weeks even, show up at, at you know Rocket Lab's office and then have it in orbit. And they, they really want to speed that up, which I think is just, it's just really interesting because it puts these tools in the hands of, you know, many more people, lots more research. Universities can do stuff. Like it really has um, democratized satellite technology in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. And you're right. Rocket Lab wants to be there. It's like, hey, we're the provider. We can get you there because this is all we're doing and we're designed just to do this. Uh, and it seems like people get it. They they announced $140 million in funding that was contingent on this mission being successful. And, and it was. Uh, so they are building out manufacturing facilities, uh, bringing manufacturing processes online with that money to build a bunch of uh, – Electron rockets. If you're going to launch weekly, you need a you need a bunch of stuff, even if they're reusable. So uh, it's it's an exciting time because Rocket Lab seems like such a different company than SpaceX or Blue Origin or ULA because they are just focusing on this one, you know, small but growing part of the market. And I I think it's going to be successful for them. I I think uh, if they have a, a smooth on ramp to you know more missions and flying more regularly, I think they'll they'll be successful in the long term. Yeah, one of the fun things about this, they're they're working on
1: a US launch site, I know, but they're launching from New Zealand. And that's that's fun, right, because we don't talk a lot about space launches from New Zealand if we we you know there's stuff that happens the uh, Ariane space in uh Guiana, mm-hmm. uh, of course, Florida, and we know about the uh, California launch sites, and then of course, Russia has their cosmodrome and there's Chinese launch sites where the stuff falls off and lands in people's houses um and, which is not good and uh one of my favorite things to talk about here obviously is that there when there are rocket launches from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California which is by Santa Barbara one of the reasons they do polar orbit launches from there is because you it's a straight shot south all the way to Antarctica so you don't have any issues with any land in the way well the New Zealand launch is fun because it is on the North Island on the 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 um tip of this little peninsula and they can go uh, either south, like Florida, they can go either south or east where there's nothing because due east of there, it's a very long way to uh, the tip of South America. And of course, due south of there, again, Antarctica. So um, it's a great place to launch either direction from, from there, from New Zealand. And I would imagine not knowing anything about because uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to host this podcast uh, I would imagine being in the southern hemisphere might actually be interesting in terms of um, for all I know it's actually harder but in terms of maybe access to certain orbits that are harder to get to from the northern hemisphere maybe not but um, I love I love that it's you see pictures of the rocket lab launches and it's just like there's this green field with a rocket in it yeah, and yeah. and the sea and the ocean behind it and then there goes the rocket like, a rocket launch from nowhere today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. It's very cool.
0: It is cool. And, uh, you know, they took their time with those issues getting it sorted out. But I think uh, hopefully that's all these issues are behind them and we'll see more more of this rocket doing uh, doing what they want to do with it. So we want to look ahead a little bit because Monday, November 26th, is going to be, uh, hopefully, Jason, a very special Ooh, day, isn't could, it? Could be a very, very, very
1: big day. We are getting, at long last, the landing, uh, the attempted landing, we should say, you never know, of the NASA InSight, uh, which is the latest Mars lander from uh, from NASA. And there, there is a... Uh, There's a video. You can read about it. There is a lot that's going to go on in a fairly short amount of time um, where it has to, you know, shed the the crew stage, turn with its heat shield facing Mars, decelerate through the atmosphere, pop out the parachute 10 miles above the surface. That's a supersonic parachute. uh, Drop the heat shield. (laughs) Exposes the lander to Mars. Extend the legs. (laughs) shoot off the radar. <laughs> it's a butt uh, stuff. Eject check the back shell which is littering by the way. Just it's littering. Um and actually in the um National Geographic TV series Mars which just started the second season and it's like a hybrid of documentary and drama together. It's a it's a, it's a weird thing, but it's pretty good. If you're a space fan, you should check out the Nat Geo channel. Um the opening uh, scene of that is that um there are nasa people on mars or there's an international crew on mars and there's a commercial operation that's landing on mars and they um, they they drop their their heat shield or whatever and it just like clangs into the middle of their landing site of the of the international people and they're like hey and it's like are there laws against littering on mars not yet anyway uh, all this has to happen they jump they dump the back shell they uh they clear the parachute by firing their rockets to get away from the parachute because they want to get tangled in the parachute and then you know they have to touch down it is i mean i'm sure that they've got a new clever word for it but the i remember from an old mission they said it was like eight minutes of terror or something like that yeah
0: it's it's a lot of stuff, and it's got to happen, like you said, really quickly because landing at Mars is tricky. There's not a big cushy atmosphere to slow down in, right? You're coming in very fast, and yes. you have some atmosphere to break in, but not a lot. And so, yeah, it's enough enough atmosphere to burn you up,
1: yeah, <laughs> but yeah. not it, enough to break you,
0: yeah. It's Thanks, uh, Mars. It's a, tr- it's a tricky thing, and so. That will all be going on uh, on Monday, and because Mars has a lot of, or because NASA has a lot of other hardware at Mars, and um, so do other space agencies, there will be a lot of monitoring of what's going on. So remember when we talked about the launch of Insight several months ago about the Marco CubeSats, right. That are traveling with Insight, they will be used to uh, monitor the landing and to help relay information back. Uh, you've got the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter will be watching as well. Um, <laughs> I read a, a little bit older article in JPL that said that Opportunity may be available to help monitor, but uh, mm. I guess not. Um, and uh, so all this is going to happen. You kind of walked us through this this crazy deal. At least there's no like sky crane this time. That's what I remember being so terrifying with Curiosity, and what will be terrifying with Mars the Mars 2020 rover. But uh, it's going to get on the ground, and then it will basically immediately communicate with a tone that could be picked up by radio telescopes on Earth, which would be uh, noticeably faster than the X band antenna on the Deep Space Network. But right. it will uh, it will radio back that it's okay. That's the I'm alive and on the ground ping. Yes, and, and theoretically, we'll see the people
1: in the uh, mission control whoop and holler when they get that ping.
0: Yep. So all that's going on Monday, I believe that NASA TV is going to start. Uh, I think at 11 a.m. Pacific. Yeah. With uh, with its coverage and uh, it should be it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's something like that. 11 or 11 11:45.
1: I think 11:45 Pacific is on Monday is the uh, the landing time. Yes. But they're yeah, going to yeah. start early. Um, the oh, by the way, it was in 2012 for the uh, Curiosity landing. They did seven minutes of terror. That's what what they called it. And yes, that's the landing where the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter ended up sending back a picture of the spacecraft and its parachute descending, which is the most unbelievable image maybe ever taken (laughs) in, (laughs) in outer space. It is of a Mars probe landing from a Mars satellite. It's pretty amazing. So maybe we'll get something like that. Uh, that that it's pretty cool that we have enough eyes and ears around Mars now to do stuff like that. So um, we did a we did a, that Falcon Heavy live stream. Should we do a, uh should we pop up somewhere on a live stream and uh, get excited about the the Insight
0: landing? next Yeah, week? I think we should. All right,
1: so people should check out uh, the uh, liftoff podcast Twitter account maybe for yeah. uh, uh, an alert about what we're doing with that. Um, and I'm sure Stephen and I will tweet that from our own Twitter accounts and you can, you know, peek into twitter.com slash liftoff podcast. If you're not on Twitter, you can still see that stream mm-hmm. and, and, uh, see where we are. We'll pa- pass out the link on Monday.
0: Yeah. After. We did that with the Falcon Heavy launch and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun.
1: It was fun. People still, people were watching it like weeks later, which is weird because it is over, but, <laughs> and, and also commenting on the fact that they, they don't usually see us.
0: But we are yeah. humans with, like, heads and stuff, faces. It's true. Huh? It's true. Uh, if you want to uh, check out links about the stuff we talked about, head over to relay.fm slash liftoff slash 85. All that stuff will be there. Uh, there's a link to our Tumblr where we post topics and stories and links and stuff in between episodes. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, like Jason said, the show is at podcast, and we'll be there on uh, Monday sharing with uh, – With y'all where we will be for the Mm -hmm. live stream. But you can also find Jason there as Jay Snell. You can find me there as ISMH. And uh, I guess until our live stream, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Adios.